In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd ask you to just turn your attention for a moment back to the brief verses from Paul's letter to the Galatians. But when the set time had come, fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The word of the Lord. I'm not much of a royal watcher. I suspect, though, that there are a few people among us this morning who, who maybe do spend a little bit of time, make a little bit of investment in knowing everything that's going on, perhaps, with some of the world's royals. But that's likely because one particular family amongst all the royals of the world has grabbed most of the headlines in recent years. And so there are a goodly number of people. There's an entire industry in the media that surrounds the events of one family and, and its ups and its downs and its ins and its outs. And It's not surprising then that exactly a decade ago the world turns its attention back to London one more time and the big news of the day that was all the headlines was the birth of now 10-year-old heir to the throne, Prince George. You and I can't even begin to comprehend what it's like to be Prince William or Prince George, the number one and then the number two in line for King, George's, or King Charles' throne. Every moment of their existence, from the moment of their birth, has an aura of expectation Every element of their lives is under scrutiny. In some ways, that can't be easy. And yet, the privileges and perks of royalty, when you and I come to learn about what some of those are, as the commoners we are, we think, you know, that wouldn't be quite so bad. But I don't know that I would ever want to live a moment in their particular shoes. Maybe if you offered me one of those spots on the low-hanging fruit of the very outside fringes of the family tree of a royal line, maybe, maybe then I'd consider it. The lineage of both Mary and Joseph is well laid out in the Scriptures, and they were indeed about his outside, low-hanging, fringe-level fruit of a royal family as you could possibly find. Yet it was an ancient royal family tree. But it is clear that hundreds of years after the very last king of their family had been deposed from the throne of Jerusalem, their existence meant absolutely nothing of significance to just about everybody that crossed paths with them on a daily basis. 
Even after their first child was born, nothing about that really changed. They raised Jesus and his siblings that would come down the line in a, in a very humble, very poor, very unassuming place. And it is clear that their lifestyle matched that. Jesus was born in a stable. And a short time into his young life, his family had to flee for refuge to Egypt. And that sojourn there was funded by gifts given by unexpected visiting dignitaries. While Mary and Joseph clearly did not have much, they also clearly trusted that whatever they needed and whenever they needed it would be supplied by their God, who had angels speak to them, so they knew for sure that everything about their existence from the moment the angel left them, Mary in person, Joseph in a dream, they were at the center of one of the biggest moments, if not the singular biggest moment in the history of humanity. They were dead center. They knew they had the most important task that any royal family members would ever have. They were quietly raising the most important king of all human history. He did not come to ever rule over anyone physically. He never led a single army. He never received a single tax payment in tribute. He would never actually own anything but the clothes on his back. Yet he would give to his world the most amazing gifts of healing, of hope, of heaven itself. How interesting it must have been day in and day out for Mary and Joseph from the very moment of Jesus' birth, even as they awaited that birth, and then as they raised him as a young child, they played their unique roles in his early life knowing, knowing that all of history revolved around the events of their little family, their little boy. They didn't have... The words that you and I have here from Paul written to the Galatians to lean into. But they knew. They knew exactly what Paul was talking about. And we're told from the gospel accounts that their minds and hearts often pondered the fact that they were caring for and raising God's own son as their own. Yet even as Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak so many years later, he wrote of Jesus in such a humble, unassuming, both Jesus and his family life, his upbringing, almost matter-of-factly. Does that sound familiar to you? Because it should. Isaiah is the one that actually sets the tone. More than 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, Isaiah sets the tone of presenting to us the humble, suffering servant of the Lord. And while he gives us so much detail about the work he would do, he also gives us some very interesting details about his person all through his life. He tells us he grew up like a tender shoot, like a weed popping up out of dry ground. And it says that 
There was nothing extraordinary about him in his physical appearance or his demeanor that would attract any attention to him. In fact, most would assume him to be a very common, very poor, very uninteresting son of a carpenter from a very faraway village on the very edge of Galilee. They would assume he was very ordinary until he clearly demonstrated that he was very much more. This humblest of all of David's royal descendants, who he clearly truly was, was the one. The one that the Lord had told David would be the one that would reign on his throne forever. So it shouldn't be surprising that Paul, writing to the Galatians, would speak of the very ordinary moment of Jesus' arrival in our world as actually the pivotal moment of all human history. It's long been said that timing is everything, but you and I know from our day-to-day lives that that is a bit of an overstatement. And yet, Timing also does prove itself very important quite often in our lives. A moment of bad timing can be recovered from, but many moments of really bad timing, they can be expensive, they can be destructive to relationships, they can take most of a lifetime to recover from. That is why it is so very important, so extremely important that you and I sear into our minds and our hearts an understanding that the Creator God, carrying out His plan of salvation, always, in every circumstance, has absolutely flawless timing. It is never, ever wrong. The birth of his only son into the world as the ward of Mary and Joseph was flawlessly timed and tuned to all of human history. And you and I could spend a lot of time examining that reality at the moment, but that's not where the Apostle Paul desires to take us in these verses. Rather, he tells us that This perfect timing plays its role among other significant ingredients of Jesus' perfect life. And some of those other noted ingredients would be that Jesus was born in an ordinary way, but born flawless, of a virgin, under every law of God and humanity that existed in that perfectly timed moment. And then Paul follows that by pointing out the reason why. This perfectly timed, flawlessly obedient Savior, having lived an entire life under the law, could redeem every other soul that had ever lived under any law of any kind, authored by God or any other human being, and failed to keep it. Paul wanted to clearly and powerfully communicate to you this morning, what Jesus' birth means to you. 
You have a substitute in Jesus. Like none other you're ever going to find, not in your lifetime, not in this moment, not on the pages of history, although every last thing about him was perfect, including the timing of his birth, he still was as human as you and me. This meant he could not only redeem us from all of our imperfections by living every moment of his existence in obedience to all laws, But Paul tells us here he also did all of this as the means of completing the payment for your adoption into God's royal family in the eternal, righteous court of divine justice. Because God couldn't simply accept you for who you are and all that you've been God couldn't do that because that would make God less than the holy, righteous, just, and eternally consistent creator God that he is. He had to make sure your sins were paid for. He had to see justice served. So he sent a baby, Jesus, into the world at just the right moment to be your perfect replacement over a lifetime, to pay for every last one of your sins so that you could be a forever member of the ultimate royal family. But it truly gets even better than that. Look at those words again. Paul tells us that every single one of us is going to be a son in that royal family. Now, the world will tell you that every woman in the room at this moment should be angry about the language that Paul uses, this sexist and exclusionary language, but then they don't know history, and they don't know the culture of the Greeks and the words that Paul uses here, because Paul does exactly the opposite. At the moment that Paul wrote these words, no woman had any rights No woman was considered to be an independent entity of whatever man she was attached to. All of her value, all of her rights came through her relationship with a a father, a brother, an uncle, a husband, or far worse, as Paul's mentioning here, an owner. No ability to inherit any thing of value. No ability to own anything legally. No rights. No independent legal status. Every material thing she would ever potentially accumulate in her life would be considered the property of the man with whom she was associated. And any rights that she might also have, even as a citizen of the nation in which she lived, were only hers through that relationship. But look again at what Paul says here. Through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit declares something absolutely amazing. Every single soul, whether male or female, whom Jesus has redeemed through his birth and life under the law, has been made a son of God, a child with every right of inheritance of a full-fledged member of a royal family. Don't overlook the legal language that Paul is using here. Realize what he's saying. The adopted 
children in the family. Our being invited into the family to enjoy all the privileges and perks of all naturally born family members and realize what that means. There is only one son who really belongs in the family. That's our perfect brother, Jesus Christ. Every other human being, whether male or female, now a member of the family adopted through Jesus' legal actions. And he makes every one of them righteous before God. Every child adopted through these once-in-all-history efforts has an eternal claim on all of the full rights of sonship along with Jesus. If you are fully awake this Christmas morning, and I'm not sure I even am, that should absolutely stun you. What Paul is telling you here. This birth makes you an heir. This birth we celebrate today and every other year on this day is the most important birth to ever happen. It happened at just the right moment, Paul tells us here, and accomplished exactly the perfect outcome. It is essential for every human being to know and understand and embrace these truths, and it is equally essential that fully realizing what anyone forfeits forever when they reject Jesus as their brother, their Lord, their King, their God, their Savior. They forfeit their rights as full-fledged members of God's eternal family, welcome in His presence for the forever life to come. But you, you are here because you embrace Jesus is everything he has presented himself in his word to be and how he presents that to be for you, with you, even in you. You praise and worship and confess and acclaim him in reverent joy because you know exactly who he is and what he came to do and that he accomplished it for you. And you know what that means for you today and forever. So you sing your carols with gusto. And then you come forward to participate in this meal that he offers you that is a, a foretaste of the eternal banquet to which you know you are welcome, that there is already a place set for you. You know that because you have received the best possible Christmas gift. You have received perfection. You have received righteousness. You have received a flawlessly lived life under the law, gifted to you by the only one who could accomplish it in your place as your substitute to make you righteous and holy before God and forever welcome in his eternal royal family, all through the obedience of this Christ. You are a redeemed child of God. You are a little brother or a little sister of the best big brother anyone could ever have. And your adoption into his family is complete. You understand that and you celebrate it this day. This birth makes you an heir and your Savior God will never let anyone or anything stop you from living that reality every day of your life. 
until you're received into that eternal kingdom. A full-fledged member of his family throughout your life and forever. I don't have any doubt. I hope you don't have any doubt either. That that's a whole lot better than being a royal. Today, any day, forever. Amen.